You're listening to the Wilderness Warrior Podcast, forging dangerous men in wild places. Welcome back to the Wilderness Warrior Podcast. Dan, I haven't said that in a little bit. Yeah, it's probably been quite a long time now. Yeah, I wanted to say Hard Bend Podcast, King's Hall. We've got other projects that we have been working on, and we are really excited to finally get to, if you will, like the passion project. It really is. Of Wilderness Warrior. It yeah. really is. So, so this season, we want to tee it up. We're back for season two. Episode one, but we want to tee this baby up, Dan. We're going to be talking stories. Uh, today, we're going to be talking about D-Day. Uh, so we've got the anniversary week this week when we're doing the recording. Um, we're going to be talking about, this is a lot about warriors. Warriors, yeah. Yeah, this um, story. Today, we're going to be talking about warriors and about war. But you, you can expect in this season a lot of really good stories. I think that's really what we're going to be aiming for this next season. I know you guys like the hunting stories. Uh, the cougar sandwich story where I had like meat strapped all over my person <laughs> wandering through the desert in the dark, you know, so there'll be a lot of stories uh, this season that I'm very excited about. Yeah. So that'll sort of form the backbone of season two. Uh, we're going to be doing a lot of the storytelling. We're also going to be talking Dan about uh, upcoming hunts. Uh, so pretty excited about that. So yeah, we're going to talk about a lot of that uh, in this season. A lot of exciting stuff about hunting, summer plans. Dan, you've been crappie fishing. We'll probably talk about that. Oh, man, I've got a full freezer right now. I know. I loathe you for it as well. <laughs> oh, the fish fries are so good, guys. I just love them. <laughs> yes. So, yes. Dan, without further ado, I think we're going to kick this episode off. Again, we're talking about D-Day, and we'll unpack more of that in this episode. All nations in history have their stories of the mythic event, the great battle that made a people, the heroism of their people represented in that one battle, that one defining moment of courage, the Spartans at Thermopylae, the French and their siege of Orleans, and the Russians' defeat of Napoleon at the Battle of Mayoyarslavitz. The battle of our time, the battle that swung apparent defeat into inevitable victory, won not only a war, but a people. The nations of the West in our day will look back to World War II and Operation Overlord as that battle that defined a people. We know it today simply as D-Day. The preparations for this operation were massive. The decision to invade Normandy had been made months in advance in 1943. This coordinated assault between multiple countries and multiple military branches within each country proved to be a planning challenge. Even logistical planning would prove to be difficult. Food, ammunition, communication lines, and medication were all minor parts of a puzzle that needed to be solved. And what proved to be one of the most important planning efforts that aided in the eventual success of the Normandy invasion was the diversionary deception named Operation Fortitude. The intent was to divide German forces into the north of France near Norway or to the south coast of England. Operation Fortitude South was created to convince the Germans 
that the attacking forces were far larger than reality. They created a false army group. The Allies supplied this group with faux equipment like inflatable tanks and gave radio signals and movement commands to make the Germans believe there would be a large invasion in the north of France. At night, the men would play recordings of airplane engines starting on loudspeakers. Vehicle lights were attached to carts and men would run up and down fake runways to make it appear like planes were taking off and landing. During the daytime, the aircraft themselves were nothing more than canvas and tubing. Fortitude South also wanted to contain information of the actual buildup of Allied troops in southern Britain preparing for the true invasion. The Allies had to create 11 faux divisions, that's 40,000 to 60,000 imaginary men. Spies also played a key role in sharing this information with Nazi command. The weather needed to be perfect in June of 1944 for the invasion of Normandy to go well. Too much could go wrong without ideal conditions. The winds had to be right, or would slow the landing vessels down. The tide had to be right for the beach landing so the soldiers could get over the barriers. It had to be cloudless for air support, and on June 5th, a high-pressure system came rising over the Azores that would give the Allied forces the window needed to execute Operation Overlord. The men had been trained, the supplies had been prepared, the spycraft and misinformation campaigns had been run. The battle was upon Allied forces. These men all received the following letter from Supreme Headquarter Allied Expeditionary Force. Soldiers, sailors, and airmen of the Allied Expeditionary Force, you are about to embark on the great crusade towards which we have striven these many months. The eyes of the world are upon you. The hopes and prayers of liberty-loving people everywhere march with you. In company with your brave allies and brothers-in-arms on other fronts, you will bring about the destruction of the German war machine, the elimination of Nazi tyranny over the oppressed peoples of Europe, and security for ourselves in a free world. Your task will not be an easy one. Your enemy is well-trained, well-equipped, and battle-hardened. He will fight savagely. But this is the year 1944. Much has happened since the Nazi triumphs of 1940 to 1941. The United Nations have inflicted upon the Germans great defeats in open battle, man-to-man. Our air offensive has seriously reduced their strength in the air and their capacity to wage war on the ground. Our home fronts have given us an overwhelming superiority in weapons and munitions of war and placed them at our disposal in great reserves of trained fighting men. The tide has turned. The free men of the world are marching together to victory. I have full confidence in your courage devotion to duty, and skill in battle. We will accept nothing less than full victory. Good luck, and let us all beseech the blessings of Almighty God upon this great and noble undertaking. General Dwight D. Eisenhower. At four o'clock in the morning, in the black of the pre-dawn, men lined the decks of ships to receive prayer from pastors and priests. Then with dour efficiency, the men began to load the Higgins landing boats, where they began what must have been a slow funeral march towards an unknown death that awaited them. When suddenly all at once, the battleships and destroyers in the fleet began firing on the beach in Normandy. One man, Richard Fazio, related it looked like the 4th of July, but a thousand 4th of Julys all at once. The ocean lit up like a Christmas tree. The men in the Higgins boats were crammed together, the violent seas causing freezing ocean spray to explode over the sides of the boats, soaking the men. 
Shivering from the cold, the men would remove their helmets and use them as buckets to bail out the boats as they gained more water from the invading sea. Each Higgins boat held 30 or so men, each man with hopes, dreams, mothers, fathers, homes, music they liked, meals they enjoyed, each man, every man bearing the image of God, being transported to their possible death on a beach in France. Frank Davidia recalled the following. The Germans had a gun called the 88. It had a range of 10 miles, so the fleet was 11 miles off the coast, which was good for them, not for us, because it took us two hours to get to the beach. Floating in the water were mines made of glass or plastic. They were difficult to see, and some boats didn't see them. Davidia continues. They gave me the job of dropping the ramp. You know, in the front of the boat, the boat is made of wood, but the front of the boat... They have this ramp, like a garage door ramp, and it's made of two or three inch thick metal so it can stand rifle and machine gun fire. So when we got close enough to the beach, we could only go about 200 yards up to the beach. That's the closest we could get. The machine guns opened fired on us and the bullets were bouncing off the ramp because it was up. But I knew eventually I had to drop the ramp. And so the bullets, instead of bouncing off the ramp, would come into the boat. So the coxswain says to me, drop the ramp. I never heard it because the roar of the cannons and the two diesel engines in the back of the boat. I never heard him. Then the second time he says, drop the ramp. And I froze for a few seconds because I didn't want to die. And I knew once I dropped the ramp. Then he says to me, drop the ramp, Davidia. So I had no choice. I dropped the ramp and the machine guns opened fire. Killed 14 or 15 troops in the front of the boat. Where I was, about three quarters of the way back. You know basketball? I had soldiers in front of me. They were like my pickers. They were absorbing the bullets that would have come to me. But I had two stragglers. They didn't want to die, so they didn't want to get in the way with the other troops going forward. They stayed with me. They thought it was safe by staying with me. Unfortunately, by staying with me, they were drawing fire from the hills. One guy was about four feet away from me, and the other guy was about two feet away from me. The first guy got hit, ripped his stomach open. His stomach's outside his belly. Fortunately, this guy lived. The other guy that was two feet away from me was a red-headed kid. The machine gun took his helmet off and part of his brain was... And he was crying, help me, help me, help me. And I had no morphine. I couldn't help him. So he fell at my feet. He was crying, help me. And I had nothing in my kit to help him. So the only thing I had to help him was the Lord's Prayer. And I started praying, our Father who art in heaven... I never finished it. He slumped down. I knew he was going to die, and I reached down and I squeezed his hand. I wanted him to know he wasn't alone. Then he died. He was just a little boy. Allied soldiers would take the beach in one of the most amazing acts of heroism in the modern age. Wow. There you go. Dan. There's another story. I don't even know. Uh, so we're, uh, you know, we, I was like, okay, Dan's going to do a story and then we're going to do a podcast. I mean, the only, the only right response to that is, is silence. It's, it's incredible. Yeah. Yeah. It's shocking. You know, I, I was transcribing that interview from a, a video that's online. It's got millions of views. A guy's name is Frank Davidia. He is a, he's a hero. He, it, the interview is long. This yeah. was just one portion of it. But I guess he was a machine gunner. He was supposed to be a machine gunner on the Higgins boats. You know, the Higgins boats are the 
boats with the the door on the front that drops down and the guys run out on the beach and he was supposed to be a machine gunner and for some reason the government took the the machine guns off of the boats so then they said davidia you're you're the doorman and so his job was to drop the door essentially and and you can kind of tell between the lines he's he's telling the story so he doesn't say this explicitly but he's he's the man that's controlling whether they live or die or when they live or die yeah, and I mean, uh, I think we were talking about this off off air, but the the death rate, the expected death rate, this is like ninety percent. Yeah, yeah. This was there were I don't know if this was intentional or not, but there were rumors going around before the invasion that this was going to be a high mortality suicide mission. So that was the expectation going in. Some of the guys didn't know what, what to expect, but a lot of them assumed that this was this was going to be it for them. Yeah. Yeah, one of the things, uh, so this week we had the D-Day, obviously June 6th, D-Day Memorial. There's a lot of people I knew who are going to France. Obviously, people are still uh, making the trek, sort of a pilgrimage back there. Still some still some guys alive, actually. Yeah, yeah. Um, who who lived through that. I don't know if Davidia is or not. I'm, yeah, I'm not sure. Obviously, YouTube video is up. But uh, we were talking about this week, uh, we have a gentleman in the church whose grandfather, 100 years old, was actually driving one of those boats. Yeah, he was a Higgins boat driver. So we're going to be talking to him or Eric will be talking to him. So we'll get his story. So you'll probably see that on, I don't know, somewhere, somewhere where we make Somewhere in podcasts. season two. Yeah, I think, I think it's going to be in uh, this uh, Wilderness Warrior, uh, some great content. But yeah, it's uh, one of the things, Dan, I, I think about these guys. And as I reflect on it, it's very, it's very sobering even today. But you think about it, and then you think about some of the hardships in your own life and you think, how could I complain about any of this? Yeah. Yeah. It really does put things in perspective. You know, that's the, one of the reasons that we're going to be telling a lot more stories is because it's easy to look at World War II, a documentary, you know, reading a book, you look at the timeline of events and you're talking about the movement of troops and of units and of countries and generals. But what stories really do is they transport you into Frank Davidia's shoes to where he's not a politician. No, no, he has no agenda. He's just saying, here, stand in my shoes for a minute. I'm going to, I'm going to show you what I saw. I'm going to, as much as possible, this is what stories do. Make him see through his, make you see through his eyes and make you feel what he felt, make you hear what he heard and thought what he thought. because. What that story does is it, it does put things in perspective. It does make your minor inconveniences and the issues of our day seemingly pale in comparison to being the guy who has to say, who has to obey the order to drop the door. Yeah, it's incredible. And part of it, Dan, I think this is one of the things we wanted to talk about is stories have a power to transform us. So if we're aiming at, you know, what is our tagline, right? Forging, Forging dangerous men in wild places. places. Yep. If that's our tagline, one of the ways that, that we set that, so, you know, that, that image before us is because we have the stories. So any great culture, you know, if you're the Spartans, you have your, your epic battles that the kids are going to grow up on. I think it was Plato who said, you know, you can take all the rest of society, just give me the storytellers. Mm. Because, you know, the Republic, he understood how important story was for shaping a people and a culture. And so for us, we have to 
have stories set before us. Now, one of the questions I want to ask about World War II, because this gets brought up, especially in, in our camp, is you read a book like Pat Buchanan's uh, book. Uh, what's the title? Churchill. The Hit- Unnecessary War. Churchill, Hitler, and the Unnecessary War. Yeah, yeah. And what you come to find out is a lot of what was going on was, you know, in one sense, unnecessary, meaning, man, it, World War One unnecessary conflict, the forces of Christendom in Prussia, Germany, and Russia, and England really didn't need to happen. It opened the world scene for guys like Hitler and guys like Mussolini and guys like Stalin. Really great book. Encourage people to check it out. But I think one thing Pat does um, is he shows even in that book that, yeah, but, you know, this guy who's operating the door in the Higgins boat, he's still a hero. Yes. Yeah, like he's, he's just doing his, he doesn't know any of that, especially no. back then. They didn't have, a, your average guy on the street didn't have that perspective. No, I mean, he's, he, he enlisted. He, you know, part of this guy's backstory is he, I believe, I don't know what branch of the military he tried to enlist with first. And they said it was six months before he could go to training. And so he went next door to the Coast Guard. <laughs> I think that was this guy. Was that because the Coast Guard? Yeah. He was in the Coast Guard driving yeah. people to the beach. Wow. Yeah, I believe so. I, I could be mixing my stories because I did a lot of research before I, I wrote this. So it could have been a different guy. But, it, but the Coast it, Guard it was matter. definitely involved. Yeah, the, yeah, the Coast Guard was involved. And so, I mean, but that's a, this guy, he just knew that he wanted to fight for his country. And that's, that's the information he had. And he and was so, being a faithful, courageous citizen. Yeah. yeah and, and man. And, and so he, he did what was, he thought was his duty. Mm. And he's a hero, you know, for doing that, you know, the war being unnecessary or not is, is, um, is a really interesting discussion to have. And I think it's really important as far as, you know, what are, what is a, what is a just war? What did happen in history? More and more that I read history, I realized that I was led a fed a, a, a lot of lies. That's a nice way of saying, saying it in my history classes, you yeah. know, even, even in the nineties, you know revisionist history. So the more I read, the more I'm like, wait a minute, I don't think things happen really the way that I was taught, but, but that's somewhat irrelevant for the stories that happened because these men were actually under fire. They were actually fighting a real enemy. They were in positions to where they had to choose to flee, to retreat, to run away or to uh, be courageous and do their duty. And that doesn't cheapen that at all. No. No, not at all. I mean, there's certainly, again, blue collar guys, most of them being heroic, being courageous in the face of just, I mean, you can watch even, even something like Saving Private Ryan and uh, it gives you a little bit of a feel. I don't think, actually hearing the story though in that guy's words, to me that, it really is sobering to think what, what they went through. Well, gentlemen, one of the sponsors for this show is Salt and Strings Butchery in Illinois, one of my all-time favorite sponsors. And there's a reason why, Brian. Some people, some people make epic pilgrimages. We made our own. We did. Red-blooded men in search of red meat. Mm. We went to Illinois, Dan, and what did we get? We got a 15-passenger van full of meat is what we got. Not just any meat, but custom beef that is delicious. I know because I've eaten copious amounts of it. And when we say van full, 
<laughs> it was a van full. Full van. Of meat. So here's the other thing. There was a lot of FOMO from our viewership. But now, Dan, they have a way that they can buy the meat themselves. That's right. So Salt and Strings, fortunately for everybody, which is a Christian company, and we love these people, Quinn and Samantha Bible. Okay, they're launching an online store where you can purchase the same high-quality beef that, I mean, I ate a T-bone steak the other night. It mm. was cut so thick. Unbelievable. Oh, yeah, yeah. Amazing. It's been, it's been a mean, meat extravaganza. It was, <laughs> <laughs> it was such a big piece of meat. I only ate a quarter of a steak, just to give you an idea. So they launched this website where you can order farm-to-table beef, and it will be delivered straight to your door. So look at their available bundles at saltandstrings.com. That's saltandstrings.com. Or email info at saltandstrings.com with any questions. You can have the meat sent to you. I've actually tried this out. They sent me meat in a box. It was unbelievable. Had some ribeyes. Some I know. Beef bundles. I know. Remember, we cooked it all at my house and we didn't invite Brian. Yeah, they didn't invite me. So I had to drive into to Nebraska in a van to get my own beef. Speaking, but now you don't have to, listener. Speaking of FOMO, sorry, Brian. You don't have to be like Brian. <laughs> Check out the link in our show notes or go to saltandstrings.com and get your beef bundle today. So as we're looking at it today, you know, you think about your sons. Because I find as my kids get older, I think more about these stories like this is like, that could be my son, mm, yeah. you know, going through this. What does it make you think in terms of the types of lessons that they could glean from this? And, and as you reflect on that question, so take, take some, some time here to think about that. Uh, yeah. I've got a friend who he said at one point in his life, he said, I went in my kid's bedroom and my son, who, who's a teenager now, he said he's got all these posters of NFL stars and, you know, pro athletes. And he said, I, I just went in the room and he said, I was looking at the posters and I was like, that guy beat his wife. That guy beat his girlfriend. He's in jail. He's a, just a horrible person. And he said, these are not the heroes that we need in our lives. And so it was interesting because I, I said, okay, well, I want to go see what, what's in this kid's room now. So I went up there and I'm in the room and there's like a huge canvas print of the men in the Higgins boats as the door is dropping. And there's pictures of Iwo Jima and there's pictures of men who, you know, quite frankly, a lot of these guys didn't have a choice and didn't know better, but they're still being faithful in the moment in these horrific, absolutely horrific historical events. And I, you know, I, I that he's got a point here. You know, who do we choose for our sons as their heroes? It might just be the guy who drops the door when he doesn't want to and you know he has to. Yeah, yeah. I mean, certainly, you know, that did turn the tide finally for World War II. And uh, I think we can all agree some, some really horrific evil things going on uh, in Germany. You know, that is a real interesting contrast, professional athletes to soldiers in World War II. Because you've seen Gatorade commercials where LeBron James, he's getting paid millions of dollars to do this ad where he talks about all the hardships and obstacles he's overcome to get where he is. And, you know, you see him working out. He's doing rows on the on the row machine and he's doing his push-ups and stuff like that. And he's sweating Gatorade, you know, talking about how hard things are and how, how tough he is, you know, to overcome these things, you know, obviously with thirst-quenching Gatorade. <laughs> and the guy is a... I mean, I think he just became a billionaire. Is that yeah. right? Yeah, he yep. just became a billionaire. Lives in a racist society, unfortunately. I mean, I mean, the guy, he gets paid to work out and 
play basketball for a living. Yeah. And then you've got guys who are like, you know, he's a kid, like 18, 19, 20 year olds. Most of those boats are full of 20 year olds. They actually used new recruits for most of the, the operation to, to actually invade on Normandy because they didn't want soldiers that had a lot of battle experience because they wouldn't they, have, they would have known what was coming. Yeah. They wouldn't have moved up the beach like those guys were supposed to do. Jeez. And they would have known what was coming. So they wanted to use a lot of green, green men for that, <laughs> that just knew how to charge, you know? And so that's a different type of person. That's a different type of person for sure. Uh, you know, and, and as far as like looking at my boys, you know, looking at these stories, because really it's the stories, it's the stories. Who do we celebrate? Who do we prop up as like, these are the great men. Is it the, is it the sports athletes or, cause I mean, there are genuine good guys, you know, I'm not saying that, but, but what I want to win my boys to, I want to win them to a certain vision of masculinity. That's what I want to do. And the way that you win people is through stories. You could analytically say, you know, men are made of these attributes and you could define the attributes of, you know, courage and certain virtues and honor and respect. And, but that doesn't win anybody. That's, that's just, um, I mean, it's like a science definition and engineers analysis of, of something. And what stories do is it wins somebody to a cause. It wins somebody to an image. That is why, you know, the story of the gospel is so powerful. The God man, the one who is perfect, fully God, fully man. And he takes on responsibility for sins of his bride, of his people that are not his own. That's the story. You know, that's the story of our, that's the story of masculinity and of men. The, why are these men, why, why do I want my boys to know the story of the man who kills the dragon and gets the girl? Mm. Why do I want to know them to see the man who, even though he knows he's going to die, he does his duty because I want them to not be afraid when things get difficult and they have to make the tough decision. They are, are facing ridicule, which is becoming more and more apparent in our day. It's not easy to hide anymore on, on values. You either capitulate and you retreat like a coward and you just say, yeah, I'll get the whatever thing in my body. I'll wear the rainbow flag, you know, and give my pinch of incense to Caesar. I'll do whatever it takes to just to hide. Mm. I don't want them to be that. I want them to look at Frank Davidia and, and to say, no, it's my duty to drop the door. It's my duty to stand on principles and on truth. And I will take the bullets. For my duty, I will get fired from my job. I will, you know, whatever, whatever it is, whatever the cost is, not capitulate for a moment. And the way you do that is through story and looking to the right men for, that, for those virtues and those values. Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. It's a great point. Uh, one of the things, Dan, I was thinking about is, so you start to question the numbers, right? You, you go to DD, how many people... And uh, this is this is what we got. So we got an invasion force of seven thousand ships, over a hundred and ninety five thousand naval personnel from eight allied countries. So one hundred and thirty three were from England, and then you've got a lot uh, from the U.S. as well. So what's interesting though is you'd think the casualty, given that ninety percent, I don't think it yeah. could have been ninety percent. 
No. Because it says no. the casualties on D-Day for the Germans was between four and 9,000. Allied casualties were documented at at least 10,000, only 4,400 confirmed deaths. So likely a lot of bodies washed to sea. Yeah. Yeah. Um, There's a lot of men that drown. But, but yeah. so you're, you're talking for, for us, I don't know what the total there is, but total allied is 4,400 confirmed deaths. Now, not to make light of that, but just for comparing comparison's sake, right? The battle of Gettysburg, the battle of Gettysburg between the union and the Confederacy. This is staggering. Union casualties in the Battle of Gettysburg numbered 23,000. Oh, man. The Confederates lost 28,000 men in one battle. It's unbelievable. Horrific. Yeah, yeah, it is. You know, um, and you, you wonder, we talk a lot about legacies, but it's like, so you're talking in one battle in the Civil War, 60,000 men. How did that change the shape of the country? Because those were all young, prime age men, mostly. Yeah, I know Pat Buchanan in his book, he opens it by talking about the real tragedy of these unnecessary wars of World War One and World War Two, is that the, the best, most masculine, most courageous, godly Christian men. They died. They died. Yeah, they died. So we lost a whole generation in a somewhat senseless war because you have Christian nation fighting against Christian nation. And the outcome was communism for a lot of the world. But anyway, that's a different conversation for a different day. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So Dan, kind of some final things as we close, just talking about what are some things for, you know, blue collar guy. I listened to this. I said, super moving. What can I take away from this for my own life? Maybe it's the cultivation of bravery. Uh, maybe it's simply, I think for a lot of guys, there's actually a good reason that men read war stories. Yeah. And it's good to set those before ourselves. And we need to think about them critically, not just blind, like American patriotism at all costs. Everything we did was right. Everything we did was good, but actually to look at them and say, you know, like we were saying before, these guys were heroic, even though there were some, you know, it might've been an unnecessary war. I think it probably was. That doesn't mean that their deaths are meaningless. Yeah, that's right. I think that there's a couple of things that I think about. The first is to have a questioning mind. Yeah. To be interested. I've heard, you know, interesting people are interested people. You yeah, know? Be a sage. So, yeah, be a sage. Absolutely. Think about these things. But, but that should lead to something. Because we don't just watch, you know, you could play Call of Duty video games and think that you're pretty heroic, you know, or, or reading the, the right stories. You could read all the, all of the best books, hear all of the best stories about virtue and courage and, and try to exemplify that yourself. But the reason that it's not just that, that men are put in tough positions to where they have to face, am I going to run in battle and be a coward or am I going to be courageous and go forward and fight even if I'm going to die? That's, that's not the whole story. That's not the whole story. They have it's the mission that transcends what they're doing. They realize when they make that decision that they're going to go fight. It's not just because it's a, you know, it's floating in the ether like this decision. It's because there's a mission. They have to be missionally minded. There has to be something that they're fighting for. They have to be driven to the point where 
at all costs, even the cost of my own life, it is worth fighting for or towards this end. And that's the thing that you should look for. That's the thing you should find is the mission. Yeah. And I think um, you can go back to the, the Civil War to see this, especially with the Confederacy. The Union fought differently because it was a bunch of guys who didn't know each other. And then you think about like Stonewall's brigade. Literally, like this entire brigade is made up of fathers, cousins, uncles. They're all related. And so they're going to fight a certain way. And so today what I would say is there's not many things that, that I would say I would go to war over that. You know, we've talked about it in other podcasts, but we're, we're fighting to defend what's behind us, not simply hating what's in front of us. Right. Yeah. We talk about dominion and taking ground and stuff like that a lot. But yeah, it is. But you've got to love what's behind you. And so we, we kind of boil this down. This is what I think about. What is the kind of group of people that you would lay your life down to defend and feel good about it at the end of the day? So right now, uh, the U.S. is involved in a couple wars. Uh, well, sort of. Uh, Ukraine being one. They're always meddling. They're always so, doing something yeah. stupid. Uh, right now, so for example, would I encourage my son to enlist and go fight in Ukraine? Or would I do it? Absolutely 100% no. I'm not fighting a war for some commie statist, leftist, whatever, right? No. You agree with me on that? Absolutely. Okay. Yeah, and we won't go on the conspiracy theory rant because, no. boy, let me tell you, I got stuff. We, we, we got ammo for days on that one. <laughs> However, without getting into it, then it makes me think, what would I fight, die for? And I start to think about people I know. This is the reality. And this is what I would drive people to. You got to think locally and you've got to invest locally. And so I think about our community here. I think about our people. I think about, you know, our families. You start looking people in the face and knowing them on a, a daily ongoing basis. We do business together. We, you know, there's people who are fixing our house who go to the church and people that you're members with. And it's not just the church, but the community that develops around and through it. And then you're watching you, their children grow up. Yeah, exactly. You know? You're going to other families, softball games and you're, you know, watching their kids grow. You along. Eat their cooking. They yeah. eat yours. You share a table. You, you go worship God sickness. in the same building. Yeah. Yeah. It goes through sickness and health. You see, uh, people go through grief and you stand alongside them and they with you and they bring you meals. So yeah, you put all that together and it's like that that's worth dying for. Absolutely. Christendom. Yeah. That's worth dying for. So I would just encourage people, do you have that thing in your life? Because you know, this episode is more wilderness than warrior or excuse me, the other way around yeah. more warrior. I was than, say there wasn't any wilderness. So more uh, <laughs> warrior than wilderness. Yeah. And so we talk a lot about hunting but I think this whole concept of being a warrior really makes me think about what would you, what's worth defending? Yeah. What would you actually be willing to lay your life down for? And I think for a lot of people, if you do a real gut check, you look in the mirror, there's not a whole lot that you can say, yeah, I would die for that. And, and I think for men, here's my point. There should be. Because men were made to defend, protect, cultivate a people first and foremost. Yeah. It's a hollow existence if you don't have that. Yeah. Because it's not just fighting, it's working, building, nurturing. That was, yeah. I mean, you can, like I said, uh, you know, reading books to what end? Yeah. Building what's, a, what's building it for? Your, your investment portfolio. 
even even enjoying like going hunting like even even in ecclesiastes dan he says you amass wealth and and this is an interesting question you amass wealth and he said and who is it for who so the the automatic assumption is like well who but if you don't have a family who's it for meaning like when you build your wealth the talos the aim should be for people this is for people yeah I'm amassing wealth for people. It's my offspring. It's my lineage. It's your community. It's, it's your, your community. Yeah, Christendom. Absolutely. So I think a lot of those questions have to be asked and then answered as we think about what would you, what would you die for? So I'll leave the men with that and anybody else listening, what would you die for? Do you have something behind you that's worth the sacrifice? And then do you have the courage to sacrifice for it? Are you sacrificing? For it, great reminders this episode and this week as we think about D-Day. Well, Dan, we are back, as we said, with season two. We'll wrap this up now, but there's a few places where people can check us out. They can find us. We definitely encourage people to sign up on iTunes, Spotify. Definitely leave a review on iTunes. Five stars. Tell them how much you love this show. Hope you're as excited as we are about season two. Dan, we also have a website. We do. And there's some pretty sweet stuff you can find there, including something you're wearing right now. Yeah, I'm wearing a t-shirt. Looks pretty good on me. I mean, I make the t-shirt for sure, you know, with my dad bod. Oh, you it sell is, it big time. It is so nice. Well, hey, I got a dad bod and it makes me look like tolerable so that people <laughs> don't like dry heave or anything like that. Yeah, you can go to wilderness-warrior.com. Expect to see some new designs coming out soon as well. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. What, what, what have we got in mind here, Dan? I don't know. I haven't really thought about it. I just know that I need to freshen it up a bit. There's going to be some freshening. <laughs> it's going to be fresh. We're, Staying fresh. Do the kids say that? Maybe oh, that yeah. We're fresh. Fresh. Okay. No, fresh Prince. Yeah. 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 He's coming back though. Is he? Oh, yeah. The whole language. It's coming back. Oh, okay. We, just, we just bring it back. Oh, okay. It's called I, thought, I thought you meant Will Smith's coming back, like after getting smacked. <laughs> Well, he was doing the smacking. Oh, that's right. He was doing the smacking. Yeah. It's been a minute. It's been a minute. So anyway, wilderness-warrior.com. Absolutely. So check that out. Definitely appreciate our listeners. And until next time, thanks again for listening to the Wilderness Warrior podcast, where we are forging dangerous men in wild places. 